0: Let's pray together. Uh, Father, we are trusting you today. We are believing in you for great things. We know that you're up to great things here, Lord, and uh, we're excited about your work in our lives and, and through this church. Uh, and so we just pray for your presence today and for your strength uh, in these next steps, Lord, as we think about what it means to, to fall more deeply in love with you, to live with you, to live for you uh, with all of our hearts and lives. We want to about family today. We pray for our, our friends, our family over at our Carmel campus, and just pray for your presence there. And uh, just pray for, uh, for, for, for great things to come uh, in that service and those services there today. Uh, we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hey, I want to welcome you as uh, well. My name is uh, Paul Mumon, the lead pastor here at Genesis, and uh, so good to, uh, to be with you today and to share with you once again. It's week two of our series called The Measure of a Man. We're looking at the life of Samson, and uh, if you were here with us last week uh, or maybe caught the message or something on the podcast, you'll remember that Samson uh, was a man who was chosen by God from birth uh, to help bring deliverance to the children of Israel, to God's people, the children of Israel. They had fallen into the hands of Uh, of their enemies, the Philistines. Now, what do we think about the most uh, when we think about someone like Samson? I mean, chances are when you think about Samson, you probably think about the long uh, flowing hair. Uh, We think about the fact that he could bench a lot, you know, that uh, he he was strong, that he had this physical strength. It was a gift from God. But we said last week uh, that Samson's story is largely a story of wasted potential, uh, that he was a strong man, physically strong man from the outside, all right, from the outside uh, looking in, all right, he looked like this strong man, but that strength was only skin deep because what we see, what we're going to continue seeing today is that he had incredibly weak character and because he allowed things like lust, uh, because he allowed things like entitlement and pride to rule his life, his story really is a story of what could have uh, been. And so starting last week and continuing for these next few weeks, we want to ask the question, what defines a Real man today. Uh, what, what's a real godly man look like? I mean, if not his strength, I mean, if it's uh, not his job that does it, if it's not uh, his hobby for that matter, what makes a real godly man? And last week we discovered that the measure of a man is found in his character. All right, his character, it's someone who realizes that they need God more than anything else. And what we want to do each of these weeks is we want to build on uh, what we talked about the previous week. And so if you're taking notes uh, today, our key thought for this week is this, that the measure of a man is also found in his obedience, Uh, It's found in his obedience. And for those of you uh, that are Christ followers of today, for those of you that have made a commitment to follow Jesus uh, with your life, I mean, one of the big challenges that comes with following Christ today is that we should be led by the Spirit of God, all right, in all we do. And uh, if you're new to all of this, if you're new to church, here's what we know, here's what we believe, here's what the Scriptures teach, that when you put your trust in Christ, all right, when you surrender your life to him, the the Spirit of God uh, takes up residence in your life, all right? He's no longer outside of you. All right, He's not just something that we come here to experience, but when you follow Jesus Christ, uh, he, he takes up residence in your life. You've got the presence of God in you. You've got the Spirit of God in you and in your life, and that means that he's there to guide. All right, He serves as a guide for us, that he's there to give counsel. The, uh, the Spirit of God wants to lead you down uh, right paths, to help you distinguish between right and wrong, to make better and wise decisions. He's someone that helps us overcome sin in our lives, uh, just as he convicts us of sin uh, when we fall into wrong places And, and more than anything, he wants to lead us into a life of obedience and not just because there are rules and not for the sake of the rules, but more than anything, because God wants to have a relationship with us. Uh, He wants to have a deep and intimate relationship with you. And one of the gifts, one of the advantages that Jesus spoke of to being in Christ is to have the very presence of God in your life, ready to lead and guide. And so the Spirit of God is there to play that part for us, for again, everyone who's in Christ. But all too often, rather than be led by the Spirit of God, we, we choose to be driven by our own emotions instead. Isn't that true? And that's not true of any of us, right? I mean, man, we never do that. We never make decisions out of emotions, do we? Like, I I remember this summer, uh, my boys were playing baseball. They get to play on the same team this year. And uh, for my younger son, that meant that he was playing with a lot of the big boys, all right? He was playing with a lot of kids, and they were all older than him. And it was a real thrill all summer long to have both boys on the same team. And we got into the tournament, and we made it past round one. But with every game, well, it's an elimination game, all right? you're It's one loss and you're done. And so we were in about the third inning, and my son Luke, who's uh, well, he's in fifth grade now. He came in in relief, came in to pitch. It was a tie game, and so it's already very intense. And the parents are into it, and there's a lot of screaming and shouting and good stuff. All right, good stuff that's happening. But the game was tied, and Luke was pitching, and well, wouldn't you know it? I mean, one one almost strike here, and well, a ball here, and a, a hit there, and the bases are loaded, and there's nobody out. And I got to tell you, as an assistant coach. I'm standing in the dugout, and I'm really feeling it for Luke, all right, because he's intense, all right? He's intense. He's a hard worker, but I could really see the pressure moving in him or on him in that particular moment, and so I just got to tell you, it got to the point with every ball that was called I wanted to yell at somebody, all right, because, you know, the fans from the other team, they're getting excited. I mean, they're ready to explode, and so they're shouting and banging on the fence. The kids are, and and, and so I needed to yell at somebody. I wanted to yell at the ump, all right, but I remember there were kids that were watching. Uh, you know, I I wanted to yell at someone, but I remember my wife uh, was watching in that moment. Uh, I, I wanted to yell. I wanted to scream. I wanted to react with emotion, but I, I remembered in that moment that I'm a pastor of a church uh, in this community, and so... So thankfully, I did none of those. I backed off. That's being led by the Spirit, I guess. But uh, I I wish that I could say that I'm always obedient, all right, that I follow the Spirit perfectly, but it's not true. It doesn't happen. I mean, with every moment and every choice and every opportunity, I mean, I fail. I mean, I, I struggle. I struggle to be led by the Spirit of God, and there are times when I simply respond or lead out of emotion. I mean, think about all the times in your life uh, when you let your emotions lead you rather than be led by the Spirit of God. Uh, Paul said it this way. The Apostle Paul said it in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. He said, so I say, walk by the Spirit. If you're going to live for Christ today, all right, make it your point, your goal to walk by the Spirit, he says, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So how should we live as followers of Jesus? Paul says, walk by the Spirit. See, obedience is important to God. All right, It's very important to God, and he provided help for us, so he doesn't leave us out there on our own uh, to figure it out as we go. He's given us the gift of his spirit, and if we live by the spirit according to, the, uh, according to Paul, what will we not do? He says, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, that even when you come to Christ, there's just still something in you that wants to draw you into sin, all right? And sin can be fun, all right? Let's just acknowledge it, all right? But it's there. This flesh is still present in us wanting to draw us in, but the spirit wants to take us To better things. Verse 17, it says, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit, what is contrary to the flesh, they are in conflict with each other. You ever felt in a moment and a choice to be made in great conflict, and you're pretty sure that's probably what's right, and that's probably not what's best. He says they are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. See, God has given you the gift of his spirit, of his presence when you come to Christ. And his presence is there to, to lead us and to guide us, to, to bring us joy, to bring us strength. See, obedience to the spirit of God leads to greater intimacy with God. Again, this isn't just about rules. It's about leading us into a deeper, more intimate relationship with God. And as we let the spirit of God lead us each day, we're going to be more aware of God's kingdom agenda for this world. And we're going to get to discover our part in it and what God has for us. And when our lives align with what God is doing, that's going to lead, well, it's going to lead to greater satisfaction. Uh, It's going to lead to greater significance for you. It's going to lead to greater purpose in your life. Um, I, I don't know about you, but I, I've really enjoyed watching the Olympics uh, these past couple of weeks. I'm kind of almost sad to, to see them come to an end, and it's been really cool just to see how many athletes from Indiana or have at least some connection uh, to the state of Indiana. And you might remember two of those are two divers, uh, David Badaya and Steele Johnson, and well, it was right back way just after the Olympics started that they were competing in the synchronized diving competition and both walked away with a silver medal. And um, I appreciate these men. I don't know them, but just a little bit of their testimony. I was reading this past week. I had heard about this, but with their interview with NBC after they won the silver, uh, David Badiah, he's on uh, your left there. He said this, he, David said, you know, it's just an identity crisis. Well, when my mind is on, on diving and I'm thinking, you know what, I'm defined by this, then my mind goes crazy. But he says, but we both know that our identity is in Christ, and we're thankful for this opportunity to be able to dive in front of Brazil and in front of the United States. It's been an absolute thrilling moment for us. And then Steele Johnson followed up by saying, you know, the way David just described it was flawless. The fact that I was going into this event knowing that my identity is rooted in Christ and not what the result of this competition is just gave me peace and it let me enjoy the contest. And, you know, again, just what, what a great example, of what it means to be led, to be guided by the Spirit of God, to know your identity, you know, as a child of God. Now, Ryan Lochte, on the other hand, we could tell that story, but we'll just, we'll let that go. See, but here's the thing, when we are being led by the Spirit of God in such a way that our lives start aligning with what God is doing, It's going to lead to greater satisfaction. It's going to lead to greater significance and purpose in your life. So, hey, if you've got your Bible today, I want to invite you to take it. Today's a good day to have your Bible open on your lap, or if you use an electronic device, you can certainly uh, do that. But Judges chapter 13, and if you're going to use one of the Bibles around the room, uh, go to page 175. Judges is kind of in like the first third, first quarter of the Old Testament, uh, the book of Judges. And uh, we want to get back to the story of Samson today. So Judges 13, again, if you've got a Bible, um, Samson's story takes place around a 1100 BC, all right, so 1100 years before Jesus Christ, and in the entirety of his story in Judges covers about 20 Now, the end of Judges 13 introduces us to the main character and really sets this story into motion. So let's pick it up in Judges chapter 13, starting in verse 24. The writer here records that the woman gave birth to a boy and named him Samson. Now, take note of this. Some time is going to pass because the writer notes next that he grew, all right, and the Lord blessed him. And the spirit of the Lord began to stir him while he was in Manana, Dan, between Zorah and Eshta. Now, names from the ancient world were especially significant. And certainly, you know, you probably pick a name today that has some uh, sort of significance, but even more so in the ancient world. And Samson's name means uh, of the light or from God. And that's certainly appropriate for him. Again, the children of Israel, all right, Samson's people, God's people had fallen into sin and were gradually, if you remember from last week, being overthrown by the Philistine people. And so God wants to use Samson as a leader, all right? He wants to use him as a judge. Now, when we say judge, we're not talking about judge as we know judge today as in Judge Judy or a Supreme Court judge, anything like that. But judge just simply means deliverer, all right, for this specific time. And so God wants to use Samson as a judge as a leader, as a deliverer for his people. He wants to help use Samson to lead Israel back into obedience and complete dependence in God. And again, if you remember from last week, Samson took uh, what is referred to in the Old Testament as the Nazarite vow. All right, you can read about this in number six, but the Nazarite vow basically highlights three important commitments. Uh, The first one was that Samson was to have nothing from the vine, all right, which meant no wine, no alcohol whatsoever were to touch uh, his lips. Secondly, he could not have contact with anything dead, all right, which meant no killing, all right, nothing dead, and thirdly, he wasn't supposed to get a haircut. All right, he was to keep his hair as is. Now, this seems a little silly to us, all right? We look at something like this, seems a little ridiculous, but 3,100 years ago, this vow was meant to symbolize one's complete and absolute dedication to God. And get this, in a day when God's people were choosing disobedience and just simply blending in with everyone else, you can see why it was important for Samson as the deliverer to stand out. Now, notice verse 25 again. Who's present for Samson? The Spirit of God. Uh, If you've got your own Bible, you might want to just underline that there. The Spirit of God, highlight that. It's the presence of God, again, at work, stirring in Samson's life. Here's a man with incredible potential, but with such an assignment, he's going to need some help, right? All right, let's skip over to chapter 14. We looked at this last week, Judges 14, starting in verse 1. It says, Samson went down to Timnah and saw there a young Philistine woman. Now, this, the, the word Timnah, this city, it just simply means forbidden. And that's appropriate as Timnah is a Philistine city. All right, don't miss what's happening here. Samson's walking directly into enemy territory. He knew he wasn't supposed to intermarry with the Philistine people, but he goes there anyways, and he finds a woman that he wants to marry, Look at verse two, it says, when he returns, so he comes back, he returns to his father and mother and says, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. His father and mother replied, isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives? That's weird, but, or among all our people, all right? they They say, must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? But Samson said to his father, get her for me. She's the right one for me. And so Samson's parents recognize right from wrong here but Samson wins out, and so they're on their way to Timnah as a family to find this Philistine woman when something unexpected occurs. Verse 5, Samson went down to Timnah together with his father and mother, and as they approached the vineyards of Timnah, suddenly a young lion came roaring toward him. Now, how many of you have ever uh, gone scuba diving before? Anybody ever done any scuba diving? All right. Uh, Way back before we had kids, Jenny and I were in Cancun on a vacation, and we had the opportunity to do some scuba diving. And uh, if you're going to scuba dive, you've got to go through a period of training and certification. And so we spent a good portion of a day at a pool uh, with an instructor, again, going over all the the rules and the regulations. I mean, they want to make sure you come out of the water, you know, breathing and safe. And so uh, they walk you through all the equipment and teach you how to use it. And you talk about those what-if scenarios, if your mask comes off, if there's a problem with your oxygen tank. And one of the things that we learned as well are the different hand symbols that you can use to communicate to one another while you're scuba diving. Well, I found it rather fascinating when they taught us the hand symbol for shark. Just simply goes like this. You see a shark, you put your hand up to your head. Now, I'm thinking, well, that's pretty cool that we have a hand symbol, but what about a strategy uh, for getting out of the water safely? Like, do I get a spear gun or something, you know? I mean, somebody's carrying a spear gun down here, right? Well, wrong, but uh, again, we've got this hand symbol. However, that's going to help. Well, we made a couple of dives, and wouldn't you know it, even after the instructor said, we're not going to see a shark today, we saw a shark. And uh, I'll remember that moment of turning to Jenny and just immediately putting my (laughs) hand up to my head. She did the same. I paid a lot of attention to the instructor in that moment. I figured if he panics, we have a problem, all right? He didn't panic, and, well, we made it out of the water fine and all. Here's Samson's scenario. It says, suddenly a young lion comes roaring towards him. The spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands as he might have torn a young goat. And so Samson's got a lion coming at him. I think most people probably soil themselves, all right, in this moment, all right, if something like this happens, but not Samson. Again, he's been blessed with physical strength. And so he rips the lion to shreds with his bare hands, which raises a couple of questions. Here's some questions I'm thinking. Was, Was Samson supposed to kill Not according to the vow. And the Spirit of the Lord is there, and so he appears to be giving strength to Samson in this moment. I mean, what are we supposed to make of this? And then, evidently, while his parents were at least present with him on the journey, they're not with him when this incident takes place. Look at how the author of Judges records the incident, the last part of verse 6. He says, But he, Samson, told neither his father nor his mother what he had done. Why didn't he tell his parents? I mean, why does he keep the news from him? I got to be honest with you, all right? If I kill a lion with my bare hands, I'm tweeting it, all right? All right? In fact, I'm going to talk about it every week here on Sunday mornings for quite a while. It's going to come up in every message, all right? But Samson doesn't tell his parents. Do you think he knew it was wrong? I wonder if he knew it was wrong we're going to skip over a little bit, but uh, verse 10, just to kind of paraphrase this for you, we read about how Samson's going to move on to Timothy. He's going to throw a wild bachelor party there. The implications of that word is that he throws a kegger, all right? He's, he's throwing a party with a lot of alcohol, which means another violation of his Nazarite vow. Again, he's not supposed to have alcohol. He's supposed to be delivering the Israelites from the Philistines, but I want you to notice how he's just simply joining in. And blending in. Verse 11 is day one of a seven-day wedding feast. Now, Samson is, uh, has plans to marry this Philistine woman at the end of the seven-day celebration, uh, but one day he and his buddies during this celebration are really living it up, and Samson offers up a riddle to them as a way of, of having some fun, and, and what he promises is that if anyone can answer this particular riddle, Samson promises to buy a new set of clothes for every one of his buddies, and if they don't solve the riddle, will they each owe him a set of clothes? Well, after three days, uh, these Philistine groomsmen can't solve the riddle, and so they go to the bride-to-be instead. And they figure they can get the answer to the riddle out of her, and they threaten her, and that unless she gets the answer, answer from Samson uh, that they'll, they'll harm her. Verse 15, it says, uh, on the fourth day, they said to Samson's wife, coax your husband into explaining the riddle for us, or we will burn you and your father's household to death. All right. Did you invite us here to steal our property? And so she's feeling the pressure in this moment to get the answer to the riddle. She does that. And then she reports back to the groomsmen who then give the right answer to Samson. And so now Samson isn't happy, all right? He's, he's got big plans with the wedding money, all right? you know, But now he's got to use it to buy clothes for these men. But that's not going to happen. And I just want you to notice next how the emotions take hold in his life. Verse 19, it says, then the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. He went down to Ashkelon, another city in Philistine territory, struck down 30 of their men, uh, stripped them of everything and their clothes, all right, gave those clothes to the men who had explained the riddle. And then it says, burning with anger, he returned to his father's home. And so Samson goes off and he kills 30 men. And by doing so, he breaks the vow once again And notice as well that the spirit of the Lord is there, right? He shows up prior to the killing. What in the world? What are we supposed to make of something like that? One more example. Chapter 14 comes to a close. Samson has left his bride-to-be at the altar, all right? Her father's humiliated, and so now the father gives this bride-to-be to to the best man. She's going to marry him. Time passes and one day Samson goes to see this woman that he left at the altar. And when he gets there, he discovers that she's married. Guess who's not happy, all right? The strongest man in the world. He's angry and he's gonna get revenge. And I wanna just stop there for a moment and and just add this before we discover what happens next. Don't you just wonder as you read this story and maybe if you're new to it or if you've read this story a number of times, don't you just wonder when's he gonna get it? Like, when's he going to see this? When he's, when's he going to figure this out? I mean, don't, don't you just wonder when Samson's going to, you know, realize that, man, dude, you are losing control. Like, you got, you got to get a hold of your life here. I mean, he had to know. I mean, his parents had to have told him about the angel and, and his birth and God's plan for his life. And certainly he wasn't blind to the physical strength that had been gifted to him. But isn't it so true that just because we've been gifted by God with different talents and strengths, we ultimately choose whether we're going to allow God to use those for his good, and for his purposes with our life. If we're gonna choose to allow him to use those gifts that he's given to us for his kingdom and for his agenda or for our own personal gain. Man, I want you to hear me when I say this today that you are created by God. And he deeply loves you. You are deeply loved by him. And for every man here today, he has gifted you. And if you've trusted God with your life, then he has put his spirit He's put his presence in you and that means that he wants to use you and he wants to use your gifts for his purposes in this church and in this community and in your home and where you work and uh, where you go to school right now and are you letting God use you? Are you letting him lead you and guide you in your life right now? He can and he wants to as you surrender more and more of your life to him. Samson was miraculously gifted and blessed by God And again, you can't help but want this guy to get it and see the potential that God has for him, but he's too foolish to see it. He doesn't have control of his emotions. He doesn't see the warning signs. He's not gonna listen to anyone. And so some time passes, all right? Samson is taken captive, but it's a scheme, all right? He's really just kind of playing along with them. Samson's messing with his enemies and he's ready for revenge. Judges 15, uh, verse 14, look what it says. It says, as he approached Lehi, the Philistines came toward him shouting, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. The ropes on his arms became like uh, charred flax, and the bindings dropped from his hands. Verse fifteen. Finding a fresh jawbone of a donkey, he grabbed it and struck down a thousand men. Now that's pretty impressive, right? All right, that's another version of gladiator, another another telling of of, of uh, braveheart. All right, this guy's right up there. But who's not supposed to touch anything dead? Who grabs the jawbone? Of a dead donkey. Who who's not supposed to kill? And once again we see that the Spirit of the Lord is there. What's happening? What are we supposed to make of this? I've been reading this fascinating book over the past couple of weeks uh, on Samson by a pastor uh, by the name of Brad Gray. And in his book, he talks about how easy it is to misinterpret the role of the Spirit of God in Samson's story. Uh, And according to Gray, he says, you know, the Nazarite vow, again, according to the vow, Samson's not supposed to kill. All right? And if the Spirit of God can't be in opposition to God, well, then what are we supposed to make of these incidents where the Spirit of God shows up and then Samson proceeds to open a can on somebody all right? or a bunch of people? Well, remember, there are three incidents here where the Spirit shows up and Samson kills. And in dealing with one today, I'm hoping that maybe we can better understand all three Again, Brad Gray spent some time explaining uh, this, helping us to understand. uh, If you read his book, The Way That Hebrew Works, and I don't know a lot about Hebrew. I didn't take any Hebrew, uh, and so I don't have a lot of time, and so I'm not gonna try and explain all that to you today, but what I will explain is this. I I wanna point out a few observations that he makes from this particular story. Go back to Judges 14, if you would. Let's pick it up in verse five. Again, once more. Samson went down to Timnah, together with his father and mother, as they approached the vineyards of Timnah, who's not supposed to be near anything of the vine as well. And says, suddenly a young lion came roaring toward him. The spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands as he might have torn a young goat. Now, powerfully here, all right? If you see that word, if you're reading this in the NIV, all right, the word powerfully can also be translated as rush or to prosper. Uh, the idea here is something coming upon someone quickly, all right, and so doing so powerfully, and in this case, it's the spirit of the Lord rushing upon Samson, making his presence known, And what happens next? He tears the lion apart. But here's where it gets interesting. Notice two little words, so that. Well, these two little words give the impression that the spirit rushed upon Samson, causing him to kill a lion. But here's the problem, and here's where it's helpful to to understand a little bit about Hebrew. Gray points out, all right, this pastor again points out that the words so and the words that aren't even a part of the original Hebrew language, all right? Now, that's not real uncommon because in the Hebrew language, there was something like 8,000 words. We have 400,000 words in the English language. As one professor described it, then every Hebrew word is like an overloaded stuffed suitcase, all right, that is left to be interpreted. But so while there aren't the words so and that in Hebrew, in the Hebrew language, there is the conjunction and. I want you to see how this reads in the New King James Version. Judges 14, 6. It says, And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, comma, and he tore the lion apart as one who would have torn apart a young goat, though he had nothing in his hand. And again, this is just Gray's theory, but I think this is fascinating. With this in mind, he promotes the Hebrew isn't saying that the Spirit of God was responsible for causing Samson to tear apart the lion and therefore break his vow, but instead, he asks, wouldn't it make more sense to ask, is Samson doing this by his own will and by his own physical strength? Here's the point I'm trying to make with all of this. In three different instances, when Samson is about to break his vow by killing in each, the Spirit of the Lord, who is one who comes with wisdom and guidance and direction, the one who wants to lead us into obedience, rushes upon Samson and confronts him, essentially saying, Stop. Samson, stop. Think about what you're doing. You have been gifted by God. You belong to him. Be faithful. Don't do what you're about to do. And what's Samson's response? In those three occasions, he tore the lion apart. He struck down 30 men. He grabbed a jawbone and struck down 1,000 men. In each instance, the spirit is there rushing to confront him, but Samson wants none of it. He wants to do what he wants to do, and so he kills and he violates his God-ordained Nazarite vow. Now, if you're a common sense guy, which I'm kind of a common sense guy, don't you want to ask, what's he supposed to do? He's got a lion rushing at him, all right? are you just supposed to, to, to lay down and let him kill you. Well, did you know that there are multiple occasions in the Old Testament where a lion serves as a symbol of confrontation and judgment? There are two instances in 1 Kings and one in Jeremiah, so think about it. Samson's living in disobedience. He's allowed things like lust and entitlement and pride to take hold in his life. He's heading to Timna to marry a woman that he shouldn't marry. He's drifting. God wants to use him. Samson's not thinking straight. Again, he's on his way to a foreign place. Who sent the lion? And notice, too, and I think this is interesting, that it was a young lion. Brad Gray even asks the question Was he a threat? Was he really a danger? Why do we need to know that it's a young lion? Is it possible that God sent the lion to confront him, to stop him, and potentially turn him around? Here's here's the point I'm trying to make. I believe that God, through his spirit, is desperately trying to lead Samson. And in three emotional moments, the spirit comes rushing to Samson, pleading with him to stop. And with each, Samson instead caves to his emotions. Can I ask you to look around your life right now? Uh, You know your story. You know your circumstances. You know your situation. Where might there be a lion in your path today? Uh, Where might it be right now that God has confronted you? He is pleading with you to stop, to not continue any further. I mean, where might you need to slowly step back, take a step back or two from the direction that you're headed? Some of you are moving way too close to an inappropriate relationship in your life or you're already there right now. Uh, Maybe for some of you, it's a substance. Uh, uh, Maybe for some of you, it's one financial choice after another, allowing yourself to be put into difficult situations with no accountability around you in your life whatsoever. Maybe God's trying to tell you today, you know, don't go into that bar anymore. Maybe God wants to say to you, you know, don't don't say it, all right? Think before you respond. Think before you act. Or maybe, maybe words like think about how this might affect your family. Some of you need to get honest with yourself today, and you need to fervently pray for God to send a lion into your path and into your way, because the truth is that you're headed in the wrong direction right now with your life. And you are so driven by emotion rather than being driven or led by the presence of God. Friends, the Spirit of God wants to help. God wants to help. He wants to lead us into paths of obedience. And what does the Spirit of the Lord, what does God's presence do for us? Isaiah promises this. He says, you know, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and the fear of the Lord. As we read in the New Testament, we identify that it's the spirit who brings comfort. Uh, it's the spirit that can encourage us. He, he is the one who speaks, we read about in Hebrews. He, he is the one who teaches, you can read about in 1 Corinthians. He, he knows the spirit of God knows what's best for us. He, he can help. Jesus called the spirit a comforter. Uh, Jesus referred to the spirit as a friend. He is capable of uh, of showing up in your life and showing us where to go and how to live and how to respond in any given moment. And while he's capable of these amazing and wonderful things, as Acts chapter seven, verse 51 points out for us, he can be resisted. Even as a follower of Jesus today, we are more than capable of resisting uh, the spirit and the spirit's direction in our life. That's what Samson did, all right? Samson continually rejected The work of the Spirit in his life, and he's going to endure the consequences of it. But even in the tragedy of life, this life that could have been, we can see the story of Samson. You can see the story of Samson today as a real gift. And as we pointed out last week, for every story we read in the Bible, we can discover at least one of two things. One, for every story, it's either a lesson to be learned or an example to be followed. Samson's story is certainly a lesson to be learned. I mean, it's told so that we might understand the dangers of things like lust and pride. It's told so that we might see what can happen and result when we live in opposition to God and when we choose a life of disobedience. That's Samson. But then there's Jesus and there is his life. And while Samson's is a lesson to be learned, Jesus' life is an example to be followed. And we know that Jesus was tempted in every way, but he always chose to live in perfect obedience to his Father in heaven And for the Jesus, the question wasn't, what do I want to do? But what does my Father want to do through me? I mean, he knew that when it came to life choices, he he could either live for himself and the world's agenda or he could live for the Father and his agenda. And so Jesus always lived by the Spirit. We know that he was conceived by the Spirit. He was filled by the Spirit and empowered by the Spirit. He gave commands and all of the miracles he performed were by the power of the Spirit. Jesus was certainly led by the Spirit of God. There has never been a greater man. And at the same time, one who was more dependent on the Spirit than Jesus Christ. And quickly, how did he do this? Well, we know that he studied the Scriptures, and he was committed to reading the Word of God. Jesus knew that God's Word better than anyone, and he used it to teach others, and he used it to rebuke and to fight temptation. He used it to make decisions in his life. We know that Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Uh, Let me just ask you today, is this a habit in your life right now? You're making it a priority to spend time in conversation with God every day. We know that Jesus was obedient. And I'm a firm believer that the more we obey, the more we're going to hear from God, the more we're going to be able to discern God's direction for our life. We know that Jesus had strong relationships. Jesus surrounded himself with people who were hungry for God and who were learning to listen to God at the very same time. Are you doing those things today? Are you putting to practice those things in your life? Today? Are you patterning your life after the life of Jesus? And the good news is, you know, because Jesus, again, who was completely dependent on the Spirit, he wanted that for you too. And that's why we read in John chapter 14, verses 15 and 16 Jesus said, If you love me, keep my commands. And then notice the promise. And he said, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. Now, your Bible might say advocate. Other translations say helper. Jesus is referring to the Spirit of God here as a helper. He is one that is called to come alongside of us. What's Jesus saying? He says, when you put your trust in Christ, God will send a helper to come alongside of you in your life. And I hope you understand the significance of this. See the potential power in this, that if you've trusted Christ, his presence is in you today. You have the presence of God in your life. This, the same spirit that rushed upon Samson is active and living in you, and he's there to teach, and he's there to encourage, and he's there to comfort and empower and guide and to lead us, and he's one that can help us in our worries. He's one that can help us in our disappointments and our temptations. He's one that can help you today at work. He's certainly somebody that can go with you each day as you go off to class. He's Someone that is there and available for your family right now, in whatever circumstances or situations you're working through. He is someone that can be all powerful and present in your marriage. But you've got a choice. You have a choice to make. You can choose the path of Samson, or you can choose the path of Jesus. You can choose to live by the flesh, or to live by the spirit. And in the end, your life can be a lesson to learn or it can be an example to be followed. Which will you choose today? Let's pray. Father, we, just, we pray simply today that you would help us to become more aware of your presence in our lives. And for every man and every woman, every student here today, Lord, that you would teach us to listen to you uh, that you would remove things like pride from our lives right now and humble us so that we can be led better uh, led by you. Uh, Father, that through your presence in our lives that you would keep us from things like sin and evil and lead us into a life of obedience today. Is that what you want for your life today? If so, just, just tell the Lord, Lord, I, I want to be led by you. I want more of you in my life today. And, and Father, for some here today, you need to and however you choose to do, Lord, a great big stop sign or a lion in our path today for those that are maybe down, heading down a path, Lord, that is just sort of out of control, or maybe they've been unaware, and maybe they've just allowed themselves to slip into it today, Lord. Father, be, be strong and firm, but gracious and loving, and I pray that there would be people here today that just, they get off that path, and they instead choose to follow a more obedient path of life that is pleasing to you. I know that there are some here today, Lord, and they're just drowning right now in some of their own challenges and weaknesses. We all have them. We all have those challenges and weaknesses and some are in need of great help today. And I pray, Lord, that you would, well, you would help them to see that you are a helper and that you can lead us down right paths and lead us to the appropriate places to get help and the assistance that we may need. But more than anything, you just want us to be more and more dependent on you and and for others of you today as we pray, some of you, what you simply need to do today is to fully surrender your life to Jesus Christ. Because if you haven't trusted Christ as your Savior, you can't have this advantage of the Spirit of God living in you and through you. And that can begin in your life today by just simply opening up your heart and saying, Lord Jesus, I need you in my life. I surrender my life to you today. And you can do that today. You can do that in your own words. He'll hear that desperation. He'll hear that cry in you today as you reach out for him. Help us, Lord. We want to more faithfully follow you. Thank you for the gift of your spirit and your presence to lead us and guide us through life. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.